Welcome back to the Wavepool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and today we're interviewing Baptiste Colonc. With a name like that, he comes from France. Well done, no prizes for that one. And he's involved in the Paris project, which is involved in the city of Sevran, which is apparently in the northeast of Paris. Um, I've never been there, so I stand corrected. But it sounds like an incredible project. We read a lot about it in Wavepool Mag, if you've been following our blog posts on wavepoolmag.com. But Baptiste is also involved in another project down in the Caribbean. He hints at that, and we talk in great detail about Paris. But Baptiste has been around for a long time in the Wavepool um, sector, and he's consultant on many other projects. So watch the space. It's exciting stuff right from the horse's mouth. Baptiste Coulomb. Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stoke. Let's just jump in here and thank our sponsors. Endless Surf brings the next generation of powerful, efficient, and customizable waves to the world of inland surfing. The most versatile technology on the market today, Endless Surf allows surf parks to generate waves only when and where they're needed. The unique heart-shaped design maximizes beachfront and allows both experts and intermediates to enjoy the same session in a more natural surf setting. Backed by four decades of expertise in aquatic engineering, design management and master planning, Whitewater's Endless Surf holds a solid reputation for mastering the thousands of details each project faces. Trust Endless Surf to power your project to commercial viability. Wavepool Mag is proud for them to support us here in the podcast, so check them out on www.endlesssurf.com. Baptiste Coulomb, thank you so much for coming on to the Wavepool Mag podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Nick, for having me on the podcast. Excellent. So we've been having a few technical difficulties, which is quite fun. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so you're sitting in, in Biarritz now, right, in France. Whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in the southwest of France, uh, born in the Basque Country, but lived mostly in uh, Bordeaux and uh, got to surf in Lacano, even if I spent a few years in Los Angeles when I was a teenager. When you say Bordeaux, immediately I think of just rich red wine and beautiful. What's it, what's it really like around there in that area? Um... That's a nice city. Uh, the wine area is obviously uh, quite far away from the city itself. Uh, and to be honest, I spent a lot more time on the dunes by the beach breaks of Lacano than in the wineries when I was a teenager. Okay, let's go back to surfing. So did you start to surf in Lacano or did you start to surf somewhere else? I started to surf when I was 11 uh, and I started to surf in Zuma Beach in California. Uh, when I was 11 and never stopped since then, but I actually started in California. So what prompted you to start surfing? Was it um, some friends or...? Uh, well, I was bodyboarding for quite a, a while then, and my dad had been a surfer uh, for many, many years. So I guess that as a dad, he pushed me a little bit into surfing. 
And I thought it was it was a bit more cool, I must say. So I started surfing. Yeah, because you can't, I mean, you know, boogie boarding versus surfing, there's a massive difference. Massive. And uh, sadly, I have to admit that I am a stand-up paddle surfer. And I think half of the people listening to this podcast will probably turn off when I mention that. <laughs> yeah, and the other half had turned off because I told them that it was buddy boarding. So we're on our own, I guess. <laughs> so no, no one's listening. <laughs> but... Uh, so, I mean, obviously, we've both been surfing since we were kids, and, and I've been on some surf trips. Have you, can you got any stories about surf trips over the years? Surf trips? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm lucky enough to go pretty much every year, and I'm off to the Maldives in 48 hours. So the best story will probably come from uh, the next surf trip rather than the past ones. Uh, lucky enough to get to go there. Uh, pretty excited to go there. However, still a little bit anxious because of this whole COVID stuff where because we're gonna actually uh, fly uh, from spain through qatar then into maldives i'm pretty sure uh, you know stuff will happen and hopefully we'll be there um, uh, in uh, in no time on thursday morning so where do you anticipate the biggest problems i don't know this thing is so crazy that uh, anything crazy can happen <laughs> will we be blocked at the Spanish border? Will we have a fever uh, a control at the Madrid airport in Qatar or in Malé? Uh, I don't know. I see Kelly Slater uh, just managed to pop into, um, where is he surfing now? In Bali. Yeah. I think. Uh, so the, the guys are getting around the world somehow. Somehow. <laughs> but I would say that I'm pretty sure that uh, Kelly has a, a better reach than I have when it comes to clearing borders. Yeah, probably, yeah. So um, have you always been to the Maldives with your surf trips? Yeah, we go regularly as Europeans because it's so easy to go to. Uh, but no, a lot of, uh, lot of uh, times in uh, Indonesia, uh, pretty much as much as I've been to the Maldives. Luckily, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 times in uh, both locations. Uh, but uh, I guess that as I, uh, as I grow older, uh, Maldives is easier and not as uh, challenging as maybe Indonesia can be from time to time. I used to go to Mentawai, now we'll go to Telos. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I mean, all I can say is that I've been to Jeffrey's Bay, which is actually not such a bad wave at all. So that was a, that was a good surf trip. But um, how about Bristol? You've been on a surf trip to Bristol, haven't you? Yes, we, uh, with the Paris team, uh, with La Vague Grand Paris team, we were there... Uh, early November last year, Nick Ounsfield and his team welcomed us uh, to share the experience in and out of the water. So we were there with our official surfer, uh, whom has been testing the equipment for us, Tomara Fonta. Uh, so we surfed the waves, uh, the regular waves, uh, for most of the day. And then Nick was kind enough to actually, once the, 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 the operations were stopped, to launch all the uh, super uh, dynamic, aggressive, powerful waves for Toma to test. Uh, so uh, no, no, we uh, the surf experience uh, was, uh, was amazing when we were there, and surprisingly for English weather, the weather was great. So it was uh, it was a good day in Bristol. I thought the number one adjective coming out of that trip would have been cold of November in Bristol. Uh, the water was then around Celsius, ten degrees, and outside temperature was pretty much the same. Yeah, it came a little bit as a shock for the first five minutes when you paddle into, uh, into the pool. But honestly, by the time you, we surfed two or three waves, uh, we were warm enough. We were wearing four threes and boots. And to be honest, within a half an hour, we could have surfed with a three two and boots uh, because it's 
so uh, demanding. You keep on either paddling or surfing that the uh, body temperature gets uh, pretty high pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And how did that relate to or compare to the Wave Garden demo facility in the Basque Country? You know, it's uh, it's as fun. We were uh, uh, we were in Zarots, uh five or six times, I think. So we got to test its full extent the facility there and honestly uh, in Bristol it was it was very similar except that the waves were longer so obviously a lot more fun uh, the, the other real key learning actually uh, was the fact that um, it was the first time really that uh, we were in a pool uh, with a lot of uh, other surfers uh, in the way that usually you know when we were surfing facilities we were pretty much on our own but when we surfed in Bristol early November, the uh, the venue was open to the public, and every slot was uh, uh, fully occupied, and it proved quite easy and uh, and uh, seamless as an experience, despite all the crowds. It's kind of weird to be in lines, etc. But uh, once you uh, you're into it, it's uh, it's super smooth. There is no hassle, you get a lot of waves, and uh, it, it's a really nice experience, even if you're, say, 20 people on each side of the pier. Well, I think that's the key, isn't it? It's, sort of, it's supposed to, I mean, the promise is to eliminate localism. So you've just got a very organized lineup, right? And, and do you think that that promise has been fulfilled? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, one of our, uh, let's say, question mark when we, we, we got there was not really about the wave because we knew the wave uh, from what we had tested already in Zalots was, uh, was nice. It was more about how the surf experience would be in the water. Uh, first, because of the numbers, you know, when you're like 15 to 20 surfers on each side and the, the space is not that big. We were wondering how the, the experience would be. And honestly, it was, it was super smooth super smooth and everybody gets so many waves that there's a good vibe nobody cares if you're paddling stronger weaker uh, if you're maybe not going to make a few takeoffs etc because there are so many waves on demand that it removes all this hassle from the surf experience so that was a great key learning from bristol mm -hmm. excellent and have you managed to try um, wave gardens first technology the lagoon up in snowdonia uh, yes I, I, uh, there, as well as uh, their uh, test facility uh, that they first had in Zarotz. Uh, uh, clearly then, and that's probably one of the reasons why Wave Garden moved on to their Cove technology, was the surf nice? Yes. Uh, was it nice enough to go back or be a member and surf a lot? Honestly, I didn't think so. Uh, it, it was cool when obviously you don't get to surf at all or very rarely but uh, when, you, when you're a real surfer and you get to surf enough it brings nothing really it, it's more of a leisure stuff than a real surfing wave but isn't that a concern of yours as a, um, a wave pool developer um, to be stuck with some technology once you produced it and then new technological advances come along don't you are you concerned about that with the with the paris project uh, it's obviously a concern uh especially uh, from uh, the investor side because the the organization is going to put down some serious money on the table and you know they want to make sure that it's not going to be obsolete within three to five years uh so it's a concern however uh what i do think is uh the 
The leading technologies today on the market, uh, the Wave Garden, uh, Whitewater West, uh, American Wave Machine, uh, Wave Lock, which I haven't tested, or, or even Surflakes, which I have not tested either, I think that they, they have managed uh, to produce a true genuine surf experience. So as a surfer, uh, you are super happy. Uh, whereas when I surfed uh, the first technology, for example, of Wave Garden, honestly, uh, uh, the, the, the experience wasn't that great. So there was a, a, fa a fair belief among everyone, and I'm pretty sure Wave Garden as well, that at some point the technology would de develop and deliver something a lot more loyal to an actual surf experience. Whereas my belief is that today, most of the players on the market have managed to deliver this. So will, will there be a new technology or maybe, but I think the focus will probably be more on trying to uh, optimize the operations of search wave pools, taking down, say, uh, the consumption in electricity, reducing maybe the footprint of the, the wave pool uh, while delivering the same number of waves, etc., etc. Things, uh, uh, that kind of things, rather than trying to improve the wave itself. Because when you think about it, most technology uh, produce possibly waves up to every six seconds. So from a productivity standpoint, it's a huge number of waves. Okay, uh, there is a great flexibility in shapes of waves for all kinds of audiences. Uh, and there's also, for some of those technology, flexibility in making rights, lefts, or longer waves, depending what the need is. So I'm not sure that in terms of R&D and technology, uh, there will be a great effort in trying to improve uh, uh, the surfing experience, because I think it is really awesome. And when you, when you talk to uh, professional surfers or surf teachers, what they see in the pool is really something that is either super playful or challenging when you're talking to somebody who knows how to surf, or something which is great to get to teach surfing to uh, new crowds. So is there a risk? Yes. Uh, is it big? I don't know. Uh, plus, in terms of economics, you know, there are quite some players now on the market. And even if there are a growing number of surf pool projects across the world, at the end of the day, today, uh, you only have Melbourne, Bristol, Waco that are fully operational surf park ac uh, across the world. So a lot of uh, technology investments, first of all, I don't think it's going to be consumer driven because of the current surf experience. And second, the market is growing, but at the end of the day, it's not a big market. So uh, how much investment can company make for a small market? I don't know. So I'm not sure. Obsolescence will be a, a key concern uh, now. But I'm just thinking if, if you were sitting as the owner of Snowdonia, um, and I'm sure you know Andy, um, but if you were sitting as the, as the owner of Snowdonia, would you be thinking about retrofitting it for new technology? Or would you be focusing on other activities like he is at the moment? Well, the decommissioning his uh, current setup uh, would probably be a big, uh, big cost. Uh, and I, I would probably say, I, I don't know any of his numbers, huh? so uh, this is just common sense. So I would think that it's not a, really an option. And, um, you know, surf is, a, is obviously a sport uh, that you get to learn and uh, potentially uh, 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 to practice at a great level. 
And clearly, for that piece, uh, uh, new technologies are, are great. Prior technology, not that great. Uh, it's also a lifestyle. So I think most surf parks will develop around the pool, current pools or older pools, a wider offer around things that make sense locally. Is it skydiving? Uh, is it uh, uh, skateboarding, etc., etc.? I don't know. But clearly, there will be other revenue streams from other activities that locally make sense. And my guess would be that Snowdomia is probably, yes, going this way because uh, decommissioning it would not uh, be worthwhile. Um, so let's get into the Paris project because, I mean, that's essentially why we're here. Whose initial idea was the Paris project? Was it uh, one person or was it a group? It was a group. It was a Link City subsidiary, Link City, uh, which as part of this big public tender submitted the idea of enlarging this housing project with a uh, surf park in the middle. Uh, and obviously the mayor of Sevran, as well as uh, the different regulatory bodies involved in the tender, thought it would make sense. So they all agreed. <laughs> and ultimately what happened is uh, the tender then included a surf pool piece. So every uh, contender had to submit obviously a housing project for this new neighborhood, including a surf pool. Okay, so how did you get involved in it? I got involved because what well, uh, at the start was seen as kind of a crazy idea about this surf pool thing. When it became official and everybody had to uh, obviously uh, include this piece into their um, uh, 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 answer to the tender, uh, we uh, uh, started looking for people that had expertise in uh, surf parks, both in terms of technology as well as the business model. And pretty much at that time, there was nobody really around because there were none of these uh, surf parks. So through, let's say, friends and networks, uh, I was contacted. And what happened is then I had spent in 2013 a little bit of time with Wave Garden when they were uh, marketing their uh, first technology, the Lagoon technology. Uh, I went there to Zarots, I tried the system and they gave me a bit of information on the tech itself, the business model, blah, blah, blah. And I worked for about six months uh, for a French company uh, to try to develop one, uh, one surf park. But ultimately I gave, I gave up because first of all, it was taking me a lot of time. And second, uh, then the Lagoon technology was clearly, I don't think, good enough from a surfing experience. Plus it wasn't delivering enough waves to be really profitable. So I had walked away from it. But because I had that experience uh, and because I was still following up on what uh, Wave Garden was doing or Kelly then, I was still able to provide uh, consulting services to the big uh, subsidiary company. Okay, right. So that puts everything into place. Yeah. Uh, obviously, currently there's an intricate mix of players and partners involved in the Paris project. Can you describe the roles of the principal parties? Sure. Uh, first of all, we, we like to think of France as super uh, complex. Uh, I'm not sure it's actually that complex, especially for those projects, um, which are big senior projects. So for Paris, we have the development company. Uh, the development company is actually Bouygues subsidiary Link City. So they're the one putting together uh, the project. And what they're going to do is because they're also a construction company, they're going to build it. Okay. 
then there will be the investing company, the people that is actually going to purchase this project. Uh, and for now, it's under NDA, so we can't tell anything. Then there will be the operating company of Lava Grand Paris, uh, which will be NR Profen from California. Okay, so they will run basically the venue and uh, uh, incur the sales and EBIT, etc. And they will lease the facility from the investment company. So that's for the, let's say, business people. Yeah, and those operators, I mean, they obviously operate, um, you know, golf courses or related uh, parks in the States, right? They've got experience doing that. Yes, Profen uh, operates uh, uh, mostly through contract management, though, operates a lot of different parks across the world in the U.S., but not, not only in the U.S., a lot in the Middle East, in Asia, uh, in the Caribbean, etc., they, they operate aquapark, they operate uh, theme parks, they operate, uh, let's say, cultural uh, um, venues, museums, expositions, and things like this. And they also operate some industrial facilities for tourism activities. So they have an extended experience, obviously, at managing big crowds, managing security, managing uh, uh, health as well as uh, promoting such places and uh, making sure that from a sales and marketing perspective, they do get the crowds that will deliver the, the revenue and the EBIT of the facility. Sure. Yeah. And the land, how was the land procured? Was that government land? or? So then you have the public people involved in the project, which is basically a, a, a duo. There is the city of Sevran on which the land is located. So the city of Sevran is mostly involved in granting us uh, Lava Grand Paris with all the authorities that we need to construct and then to operate. Okay, And obviously they're also super involved because they want to make sure that this facility obviously is a commercial success as well as something that uh, its uh, population will, uh, will use. Okay, So they're involved in the program as well. And then there is a, let's say, public body in France, which actually owns the land. So the purchasing will, uh, will be done uh, from that entity rather than the city of Sauron. So that's pretty much the, the parties involved. Five of them, two public, three private. Okay, sounds really simple. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the detail with the layout of the actual site. I mean, how did the site plan evolve? Because there's, there's, what, 30 hectares there, right? Yes, altogether, you're a little bit uh, uh, above 30 hectares, but that includes um, the housing piece, okay? It's not just the, uh, the, the surf park. The surf park itself is a little bit below uh, 15 um, hectares. The wave park, and we can talk about the technology that you've switched to now, now but um, that'll probably take up, what, three, two and a half, three hectares of those 15 hectares, right? Yes. So what, um, what other, because you must have thought about a mix of other related activities to offer, like possibly skydiving simulators or cable parks and water skis or even whitewater rivers. What uh, did you eventually settle on for the 15 hectares? So on the 15 hectares, we had, uh, uh, let's say, different objectives. Obviously, we had really the commercial piece to make sure that altogether uh, the park would be profitable and uh, could, uh, uh, could operate successfully over the years, as well as we had uh, uh, specific demands from the city hall of Sevran. 
where they wanted uh, us to make sure that uh, uh, in the middle of the park there will be a lot of green spaces uh, where people could jog, run, etc., etc., as well as um, lakes, natural lakes. Okay, so this park, even if it's a uh, even if it's a commercial park, has a lot of uh, let's say uh, natural features that were uh, uh, governed by the city of Sevran. Okay, and uh, that is pretty much uh, uh, one third of the total size of the land. Okay, for the rest, rightfully, we have the surf pool in the middle, which is the biggest item, the most uh, uh, the biggest, most visible, most marketable item. However, to make sure that our business model was sound, we had to make sure that in a city like Sevran, which is very urban in the northern suburbs of Paris, so very far away from the ocean, and Paris is not a surf destination, obviously, we had to make sure that the venue would attract a lot of crowds. So from the start, we saw surfing as a sport as well as a lifestyle. And when we referred to surfing, we were more thinking of actually board sports. So from the start, we've always said that it would be surfing and skateboarding, okay? So that translated into three uh, 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 offers. The dynamic wave, which will be endless surf by white water, this outdoor huge size uh, wave. Then there will be an indoor wave for static surfing, Okay, which will be operated indoor and year-round, 12 months a year. And a skate park, which, which will be in the range of 2,500 square meters. Okay, so board sports as a sport rather than a lifestyle is, uh, is addressed through these three leading equipments to make sure that within the Paris area, we would attract all kids, either surfers, skaters, long-time surfers or skaters or just new ones, etc, etc. And that obviously uh, 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 takes uh, quite a bit of space. And then because surf and board sports is a lifestyle, we also wanted to make sure that in addition to the uh, sport participant, we would also have um, uh, the family, the tribe, the friends, uh, potentially also corporate seminars. So Along the, uh, the, the surf pool outside, we also uh, designed a small uh, aqua park for the families, okay? as well as we implemented uh, um, uh, a hotel, restaurants, bars, and a retail offer. So that all together, this Lava Grand Paris is something that can be seen as a day at the beach for someone who's there to basically enjoy the lifestyle, or a true challenging wave that they can surf or that uh, they wanted to uh, try to learn how to surf. So that's how we designed the facility in Paris. And that's what added up with the green and uh, the green spaces and the, uh, the, the different lakes uh, adds up to the 15 hectares of the total land. Okay, and obviously food and beverage it's, is a vital addition to the park mix. So, so which type of vibe are you going for in the restaurant or the bar areas? The, obviously, Lava Grand Paris is an active destination because the key message is, is basically board sports around surfing, skateboarding, and other activities as well. So the idea is, uh, and Profen, as the operator of the facility, is super aware of this because they've been operating uh, uh, theme parks and uh, different venues across the world. They know how food and beverage is critical. 
The idea is to make sure that this food and beverage offer is in line with this active slash healthy uh, uh, environment. So even if everything is not detailed yet, uh, uh, there will be more of an offer which is uh, uh, health-oriented rather than uh, just uh, traditional fast food, uh, over-the-counter food. Uh, because we're, we're uh, after several targets, surfers, families, corporate seminars, events, etc., etc., there will be a right range of food and beverage to make sure that everybody sees something uh, that is in line with their expectation when they visit us at uh, La Vague Grand Paris. Mm, excellent, because um, I think a lot of water parks in the past haven't really focused on healthy food and uh, just focused on hot dogs and, and hamburgers, <laughs> which is, uh, I think, obviously, with, with surf parks, there's a completely different um, target market and, and element of people coming, which is great. What about yeah, truly. Uh, the technology... That you mentioned there, um, we how did how did Wave Garden take it when you switched to Endless Surf from Whitewater? Um, well, obviously it was a disappointment, uh, which I uh, which I can understand because they had been working alongside uh, the team uh, for quite some months. Uh, however, there is also one thing which is uh, which is interesting is because this market is so new. And because we've been working on this project uh, uh, since uh, summer, in detail, since summer 2017, so pretty much three years now, the technology uh, has obviously evolved. Wave Garden back then was pretty much on its own, whereas it's not on its own now. Uh, uh, so, and because it's obviously a significant investment, we had to investigate every opportunities. And because also our uh, business model relies on the, uh, the sports side of it and the lifestyle side of surfing, we needed the best technology uh, to offer both experiences at a high level. And uh, um, the surfing side of it uh, was, uh, to our, uh, our belief, better addressed uh, by Whitewater West, as well as the Whitewater West ability to help us design uh, La Vague Grand Paris in a more lifestyle way to make sure that every crowd uh, 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 would be satisfied when visiting us. So it made sense to us. I guess it was uh, it was a bad news for Wave Garden, but no hard feelings. Uh, it's business, you know. Sure. Yeah. What about the standing waves? Uh, um, I think you mentioned there would be an indoor wave. Is yeah. are you going to be using City Wave or, or Unit or Flowrider or something like that? We'll go with uh, Florida as well, uh, using Whitewater's um, latest uh, uh, product that is about to be released uh, in uh, late September, early October. Uh, so we'll be using their technology as well. Clearly, Whitewater will be the uh, preferred partner of choice to uh, Lava Grand Paris because it will be the aqua park piece, the indoor wave, uh, the outdoor wave. Uh, so obviously, it's a, it, it's a premium partnership between uh, uh, the company and ourselves because obviously, in addition to their different equipments, uh, their extended exposure at designing aqua park has uh, greatly helped us at improving the overall master plan of the facility to make it more efficient, both in terms of consumer experience as well as in terms of investment. Okay, And when we worked with Whitewater, with Profen on the operation, and obviously with the, the Buick team, it was, it was a great team because everybody had something to contribute to the project. And we believe today that from our 
list of activities to the way the master plan is designed and the way we envisage operation, we have something which is uh, uh, sustainable and strong. And obviously, investors and the banks uh, that will uh, finance the project are, are satisfied with the team as well as with the project. Yeah, sounds great. But you know what? I just can't help thinking that there's a, a massive story about CityWave and Unit and Flowrider because there, there must be some lots of legal implications because I think um, initially the Flowrider was, was patented, wasn't it? Uh, to be honest, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a concern uh, pretty much uh, around uh, every technology which involves surfing. <laughs> There is a lot of uh, there is a lot of muscling from every partner across uh, across the glo the globe. Uh, there is a lot of claim on how they were there first, etc., etc., and how the other uh, copied the the others. Blah, blah 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 blah. So yes, there is a bit of muss. There is a little bit of um, let's say bullshit as well, because. Uh, when you start involving lawyers and when you're expecting patents, okay, uh, it, it, it gets a bit more straightforward, okay? Uh, so I don't know how some of the developers of technology have actually worked with their lawyer on making sure that their, uh, let's say, innovation was protected, but I'm not so sure that they, they're so happy. So obviously it's something that I can't really discuss because it's between suppliers, Buig and the lawyers of both companies. Uh, but for now, uh, it's obviously something that Buig is super um, focused on. Okay, but it's uh, uh, it's not a, a great concern. But it's great to see that um, Flowrider is, is uh, a new one's coming out because I can imagine what that would be. So we'll be following that closely. That'll be exciting. But what's been the biggest challenge to date in this project and how did you overcome it? One of the biggest challenges is actually to build a business model. Uh, uh, because first of all, surf parks uh, barely exist. And when you look at the market today, Waco is probably the one that has been operating for the longest now. I'm putting Snowdomia aside because for me Snowdomia is a prior technology so it's not exactly a surf park. Uh, even if uh, I'm hearing that their numbers are good and that they're happy etc etc so there's no disrespect here it's just that because the prime promise which is being stoked by surfing uh, I, I, I disqualified to some extent uh, Snowdomia so at the end of the day there are three parks today which are uh, under operations and none of them have three years of operation. So there's no track record uh, and uh, investors, bankers love track records. <laughs> so well, unfortunately, uh, the first year of all the operations has just been marred by COVID-19 as well. So exactly, exactly. So, yeah. uh, right. so it, I think it's a challenge for any development team to make sure that uh, they build trust uh, from potential investors. Uh, and trust uh, comes from uh, the technology, uh, comes from also the offer of every uh, surf park. Uh, is it just surfing? Do you want to add other activities? How are you going to manage food and beverage, etc., etc.? So the design of the offer is super important. Uh, and you want to make sure that you actually consolidate surfing with other activities that have proven success in the past to make sure that the investors and bankers are happy. 
But it's the same with uh, public people. Uh, uh, so when you start working with the city hall of whatever city you're going to position the park on, they're also going to ask the same thing. Is this equipment going to be there for many years because of success or potentially is, is this thing just going to be abandoned within three years because it's a failure? So they're, you know, they're worried, especially because it's a big footprint. So if they have this big piece of land with something which is abandoned, uh, it's obviously not a good publicity. So there is a huge work at making sure that every stakeholder around the project is always reassured about that, um, uh, uh, that new business model. That's why for Paris, for example, the fact that around the table you had people that, that had been in the industry for 40 years, Profen, Whitewater, has been very reassuring for investors, for bankers, as well as for the, uh, the people of the city of Sevran. Together with the fact that, you know, Aquapark has been there for many years, Profen has been operating different parks, etc., etc. So when we build the business model with them, their track record was a great factor of, of, of confidence from anybody, from everybody else around the table. So that's the biggest challenge. And plus, because they're long projects, you also get into the, the natural cycle of, uh, of, promotions, elections, etc. You know, any city hall will have elections. Any big public organization will have uh, promotions within uh, the company. So the people you've been working with for three years are uh, have now a different uh, job. So you have to restart again with the newcomer. Same thing with the mayors, the, the city council members, etc. So you know, it's it's uh, it's a lot of uh, a lot of work to make sure that every day everybody's on board because they see the benefit for the community they see how the business model is sound so that at every step of the project from getting onboarding to getting permitting to getting all the authorization to operate etc it uh, it needs a lot of uh, dialogue with everybody yeah i think andy Haddon from scotland and edinburgh and scotland said once that uh, trying to trying to build a wave park is like a very very long chess game with high high stakes yeah but, it's, uh, i guess that's true yeah it's it's interesting because when we started working on this thing um a lot of people said that it was it was exactly like a big uh development like a mall or something that it would something it would be something in the range of eight to ten years and at the end of the day, it will be eight to nine years. So it's a long project. It needs a lot of resources from the development team. And thankfully, that's what we had. It needs a lot of expertise as well, because there are so many things to deep dive into. Soil studies, uh, impact studies on parking, and so many things that it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And uh, uh, a marathon needs a lot of resources and a lot of work with so many people involved in a project like this. Mm, absolutely. Is there any, has there been any pushback from local activists in Sevran or in Paris itself? Not really. Yeah, because I know there's a couple of, couple of developments in the west coast of France where there, were, there was a lot of activity there and people protesting the use. I don't know if yes. you remember that. Oh, yes, totally, because I live uh, near, uh, near Saint-Jean-Luz where there is a lot of pushback. Well, first of all, the, the location itself, Sevran, is in between the north of Paris and the uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport. Okay? It's in the area of uh, the, Paris air, uh, the Paris area, which is uh, fairly challenging. Okay? 
And it's this whole area of Paris, which is always after projects to try to promote that area and to kind of uh, uh, turn around the, the situation in, the, in, these, uh, in this area. So all the political people there are trying to invest or get people to invest in their uh, cities to make sure that there are new infrastructures, new businesses, uh, new, uh, new parks, new things so that their city, uh, you know, is able to develop itself, uh, to generate jobs, uh, generate tax, uh, and also offer uh, some kind of perspective to, uh, to its inhabitants. And clearly, Sevran is, uh, is in that context. So putting together such a project, w which will attract about half a million people on a yearly basis and create about 200 jobs, okay, in a city where 25 50% of the population is less than 30 year old makes a lot of sense for the community itself. Okay. Absolutely. So there has been a, a very positive attitude from everybody. Now it doesn't uh, uh, obviously uh, uh, stop the, the people in Sevran from challenging us on making sure that from an environmental perspective, for example, uh, our footprint is the smallest possible that our utility consumption is the smallest possible. So they're challenging us and uh, we have meetings with them and uh, they always ask for more, which makes sense. But the mood is we're going to do it together, but we're going to be a pain in the ass to make sure you're going to do it the best way possible. Okay. There is no upfront pushback uh, on, uh, on the project. Plus, because the, there are so many kids in Sevran, they're all excited about being potentially uh, the skateboarders of tomorrow, the surfers of tomorrow, etc., etc. So there is um, there is a super good energy. We are being challenged, yes, just like any location across the world, on uh, the environmental issue. That sounds great. That sounds amazing. Um, but now Nick Hounsfield also started off with, um, and also they, they put it through, the really strong environmental push. Um, and he has an incredibly inspiring story in getting the Bristol wave to market. Which other projects around the world are you following closely right now? Um, well, I personally work on another one, but as part of the development team uh, in uh, the Dominican Republic, uh, which is a very different uh, project from the Paris one, I mean, in the way that uh, uh, we're clearly in a more resort approach because it's together with a large size hotel, etc., etc. I think uh, we're going to make uh, announcements soon with the team. So this one I'm obviously uh, uh, working on. Um, however, I, I try to look at every single one of them because as the, 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 you know, the model is so new, uh, you get to learn a lot. For example, we've been multiple times to Waco uh, and it was funny how it had changed, even if it's only uh, not, not even three years old now. You know, it's a learning process really in how you welcome guests, uh, how you design your surf sessions, how actually uh, uh, the, the, the interval between wave also changes, etc., etc. So there's a lot of learnings to do from visiting other sites. Uh, when we were, for example, in Bristol, I thought that uh, the team that Nick has put together in terms of uh, experience and welcoming, uh, etc., was great. I think there, for example, healthy food offer was great. Uh, the fact that there's this big wooden building with this uh, amazing view on the pool is great. 
So I think this this experience is is obviously a, I don't know if it's a best practice, but it's clearly a success from Nick's team. I think. So uh, you know you have, you have to be curious and look at what uh, others do, uh, not to do the same, but to to learn because it, it is so new. It's not like a ski resort business which has been on uh, for quite a long time, even if it uh, changes uh, constantly. So uh, no, we try to look at every single one of them, and hopefully, uh, when COVID goes away, we can uh, travel again and visit them. Are you aware of the Madrid project? Because I saw some um, some images of that. It looked fantastic. It's a big shopping mall in Madrid. Yes. No, no more than uh, than you have. No more than you have. Oh, okay, interesting. No more than you have. But it's it's interesting because uh, um, you have surf parks, which are basically standalone surf parks. And I would uh, say that Melbourne, uh, to some extent, Bristol for now, uh, all, uh, are like that, just surf offer with a little bit of food and beverage, etc. around. And it's interesting how, for example, Paris is a surf park in the middle of a huge housing project. So it's more of a real estate development. And then you have, uh, for example, in Madrid, but uh, I've heard of other places as well, uh, a surf park in the middle of a retail park. So I think surf pools... Like New Jersey as well. Exact. Uh, surf pool can be used for many things. I think they're, they're super exciting. And I think that mixing indoor and outdoor surfing can, can offer uh, uh, some great opportunities for a lot of real estate development. Uh, so I think it's pretty exciting actually to see how surfing walks away from a truly by the beach experience to a more inland slash city experience. Well, that brings me to my final question. Um, and I'm just wondering how do you generally, how do you see the future of surfing as a sport and a lifestyle when considering the growth of artificial soliton waves, like we've been talking about, sheet waves, constructed river waves, and also man-made reefs? Yes. I think it's super exciting, honestly. Um, as a surfer, obviously, uh, from time to time, uh, I'm a bit worried uh, how packed the real surf uh, locations are now. So uh, one could be worried that it's going to bring uh, even more people uh, on, on the surf spot, maybe. But at the end of the day, I mean, surfing is now in a position uh, where uh, it's, it's not a just local activity for local by the beach people. I mean, it's, it's become uh, not a mass sport, clearly not. However, I mean, it has gone so wide that uh, surfing is changing. It's going to be, uh, uh, thanks to the technology, thanks to all the surf brands too, that sold t-shirts and board shorts uh, to so many people across the world, not just the beach people. It's a thing uh, that is a sport, a thing that you'll be able to practice pretty much everywhere. What's interesting, it's it's probably going to strengthen the sport side of it, obviously, as well as the super authentic surf culture, because uh, there will be, let's say, this kind of mainstream, very sport-oriented surf experience that uh, will be available uh, in surf parks, uh, river waves, etc., etc., but at some point, you know, if you really want to experience the feeling, the vibe, the true DNA, you'll want to go to places that truly reflect on that culture. California, Hawaii, Tahiti, southwest of France, you name it, Australia. Uh, 
Um, so I think, you know, it's going to grow the surfing population altogether. It's going to create new dimensions of surfing. But I think that uh, rather than trying to push back on this new side of surfing, uh, the, the, the original local core surfers should more focus on their actual culture and DNA, uh, which will grow stronger because a lot of people will be able to, to appreciate it more than probably before. And I'm pretty sure that also professional surfing will gain from it. Uh, you know, it's a change, but I think it could be a great change for surfing. Huh? Yeah, it certainly will be. And um, Baptiste, thank you so much for your time. It's always amazing chatting to you. And uh, wish you all the best with, with Paris and also with the Dominican Republic. Thank you, Nick. Amazing. Amazing. For your curiosity and stoke.